This is Cabernet and True Crime, the place where good wine and true crime come together. Hi friends, um, welcome back to now, I guess. Um, so it is Serial Killer Sunday today and I'm in the closet. Um, it, During these trying times, I am actually just behind on everything and recording the day of. So you get real-time, real crime, right? Um, It's funny, though. The last episode, I made a joke about um, getting quarantined, and I actually did get quarantined. Um, A whole whole two days of quarantine, um, there was a little scare with one of my coworkers. And so I got put on lockdown for two days, but uh, everybody's healthy and safe, and so I was told uh, Friday afternoon that I was allowed to come back to work, even though I had already worked all day Friday. So glad to see our medical department is on top of things, even though I was already there. Um, so I hope you all are staying safe. Uh, you know, we're taking naps here, me and the, the penny machine hanging out, staying low key, support your local businesses. If everything's shut down, like it is in Cleveland and, um, Let's get through this together, you know, flatten the curve, my friends, flatten the curve, my friends, by staying inside, drinking a glass of wine and listening to some Cabernet and True Crime or your other favorite podcast, if it's not mine, but hopefully it's mine. No, I'm just kidding, but I'm not kidding. Um, so unironically, I don't know why I'm on this unsolved crime kick, uh, because the next, (laughs) the True Crime Tuesday is also going to be an unsolved crime. (laughs) So, not to spoil anything, but I do, I don't know where this came from. So, uh, this is actually somebody who I wanted to cover for a while, and um, I'm just now getting around to it for some reason. I don't know why it is that the ones I actually want to cover, I, I always take a while to get to them for some reason. I, I think, well, maybe it's because I know that like I actually really, really, really want to cover them, so I want to make sure I do it justice, and then I did it doing stuff justice takes a lot of work. Um, there's not a whole lot of information about this person though. So I did the best I could. Um, it'll make sense as we get further down as to why there's not a whole lot of information. And it's just because of the the, the dynamic of the time. Um, but so there was a serial killer active in California between January of 1974 and September of 1975. Um, authorities believed it was a serial killer because of all the similarities in the crimes. And during this time, uh, somewhere between five and 16 people were killed. All of them were white males and they were all stabbed to death. They were all stabbed in the front and back of their bodies and all were stabbed in the same general areas. Um, these crimes mostly affected, and I mean, 100% affected the, um, L- LGBT community in San Francisco in the 1970s. Um, and if you know anything about that time, it was an interesting time. Um, you know, people who were coming out as being part of that community were not particularly treated well. So, um, that'll play a huge role later on. So, um, the first victim is Gerald Cavanaugh. He was a Canadian-American immigrant. He was 49 at the time he died, um, which, as I said before, was by stabbing. He was found on January 24th, 1974, and is suspected to be the first killing. 
He was found on Ocean Beach in San Francisco, California. He suffered self-defense wounds, meaning that he was awake and aware that he was being attacked. And during the beginning of the investigation, Gerald wasn't identified. So he was known as John Doe number 7 until he was identified. And it's because he was an immigrant, he was single, and a lot of, a lot of people didn't know a lot about him. So it took a little while to identify him. Um, then... Uh, Jay Stevens was the next victim. He was 27 years old. He was found on June 25th, 1974, and he was found near Spreckles Lake, which is an artificial reservoir in the San Francisco's Golden Gate Park. Um, he was seen uh, at a few clubs the night before, so they were able to kind of figure out when he was killed, um, determine when he was found and when he was last seen. He was a well-known female impersonator, and first of all, he, like, Back at that time to be a drag queen, amazing. And I, I've seen pictures of him, and he was so cool. Um, his makeup was done phenomenally well. But he was, he was a well-known female impersonator, and he was a hired comedian. He was well-known for his work in the area. Um, and investigators believed that he had made a friend with his killer, and they were going somewhere together. Um, and then he'd been stabbed three times. So that was the, whoever was doing this was like... He was with the people in the area, which I'm going to get into, but he, he, he made a rapport with the people he murdered and then murdered them. Um, so, Klaus uh, Christman was a German-American immigrant. His body was found by a woman walking her dog, which the dog's name was Moondance. I appreciated that. Um, on July 7th, 1974, Klaus's death was a lot more violent than Jay and Gerald's. He was um, stabbed significantly more times um, 15 actually so up until now I think um Jay and Gerald had been stabbed three or four times Kloss was stabbed 15 times and his throat had been cut three times he unlike the first two victims was married with children um in the article about his death that was specified and it was pointed out that he had a quote makeup tube in his pocket I'm not sure what type of makeup tube that was, but that led investigators to also believe that he was part of the LGBTQ community. So, um, that kind of, after this was like, well, the other two were kind of in the community as well. So it, this is where they started to put the pieces together that maybe there's an active um, serial killer on the loose uh, attacking this specific community. Um, so after that, it was believed the crimes were connected and that all the victims may have met their killer while out and then their killer suggested they drive to a remote place like a beach or the Golden Gate Park and then they were stabbed. Um, so Klaus had only been in the country for three months and after his death, he was sent back to his home country, Germany, to be buried. Um, between this time, well, between um, Klaus being murdered and, you know, May 12th, 1975, there's a big chunk of time where nothing happens. Um, but then on May 12th, 1975, Frederick Capen was found in, um, San Francisco. He was stabbed directly in his aorta. He was found on the beach, um, but due to disturbances in the, in the sand, detectives thought his body had been moved. Um, so it seemed like he, he was killed and then dragged about 20 feet um, to be behind a dune, um, which I'm not sure how that works out. I've never been to San Francisco. Apparently his body was like under or like behind a sand dune. I don't know what that means. I mean, I know what that means, but I don't know visually what that means. Um, he was ID'd because he was a nurse and, uh, he had his fingerprints taken for his employment. He also served in the Navy and he earned medals during the Vietnam War. 
Um, and Harold Goldberg was a Swedish-American immigrant. He was found on June 4th, 1975. Uh, he is the last victim of the serial killer. Um, based on the decomposition of his body, he had been dead for about two weeks. His connection to these um, crimes is disputed because he was much older than the rest. He was about 66 years old. His underwear had been taken, um, which didn't happen with the rest of the victims. And before he was identified, he was known as John Doe number 81 um, until they figured out who he was. So this investigation was really slow moving. There were witnesses, but because of the vict victim type, which was mostly homosexual men or men of the LGBTQ community, um, people didn't want to come forward about what they knew. Because if you witness this guy, um, because they had a description and um, a, a, a sketch, a police sketch, released of what this guy looked like or what they suspected him to look like, people weren't coming forward because they didn't want to admit that because so if they had seen this guy they would have been um in one of the gay bars or in that area so they didn't want to be like oh yeah I was totally at this gay bar saw this guy they didn't want to admit to that being the case so a lot of people didn't come forward if they had any information and actually there were three people who survived getting attacked by somebody um who met this description but they would not testify in court because they didn't want to testify admitting that they were part of this community. So uh, this whole thing stayed silent. And actually, um, they had a really good suspect that investigators and detectives firmly believed was the killer. But because people would not testify against him, he never went to jail and they never released his name. So um, the people who were attacked, none of these people ever came out as being who they were. Um, so you don't know their names and you don't know who the suspect ever was. Um, yeah, so there's one suspect who seemed promising, but because of the refusal to testify in court, he was never brought to trial and his name was never released. So as of now, the case is still open. Um, thanks to evolution and DNA science, the case is still actively being looked at. There's a $100,000 reward for information leading to arrest, and they suspect that the, um, the killer would be about 60 to 70 years old now. So if you're actually looking at the type of situation, so genetic genealogy... And the recent arrest of the Golden State Killer, um, detectives are actually hopeful that they can start using genetic genealogy to solve more crimes like this, more cold crimes. Um, so they're hopeful that maybe they can get an arrest in this case too, thanks to um, genetic genealogy and the the forward advancement of DNA science. Um, so as I'm sure you've gathered from the title of this episode, uh, he was called the Doodler or the Black Doodler um, because of his skin color. Um, he apparently was known to sketch his victims. So they, uh, people thought that like maybe they had sex and he was also part of, of this community of people. And maybe that, you know, he had seduced these guys and then killed them. Um, but he was known to uh, sketch, <laughs> to doodle, if you will, his... Um, his victims on napkins at um, gay nightclubs, bars, or restaurants. Um, and actually, this this got so much attention that Harvey Milk, which was, uh, he was an activist for that area, but he eventually became a supervisor, and there's a whole movie about it that I, I've seen a million years ago. Um, but he publicly expressed his empathy for the victims who refused to talk to the police, and he said... Um, 
and I quote, I understand their position. I respect the pressure society has put on them. And he went on to say that, uh, the three men who were attacked feared damaging relationships with family and in the workforce. And he said that 20 to 25% of the 85,000 gay men in San Francisco were closeted about their sexualities. So they, they would rather let this person, which think about what that says about that time. So if you're like, man, you know, you got stabbed. These people would rather let the person that attacked them tried to kill them. They'd rather let that person walk free than testify in court against them and come out as being part of the LGBTQ community. Think about that. That's horrifying. I just, I can't wrap my head around that, being that stigmatized. Um, but so, yes, the doodler, or the black doodler, whatever you want to call him, he uh, was never arrested, never apprehended. Um, there's still, there's police sketches, and then they have an updated one of what he might look like closer to his age now. Um, and hopefully, if you have any information or you know anything, um, contact the San Francisco police, because they're still actively investigating this. And uh, if not, hopefully, if there, you think there's any possibility that you might be related to not even just the doodler or any serial killer in general, um, donate, donate your DNA and see if you can get one of your family members arrested. <laughs> Somebody asked me if I would ever do that. And like 10 out of 10, yeah. Um, cause I like to think that nobody in my family's killed anybody. I also have a really small family. My dad was an only child and I'm his only child. So we've got a real small family. Um, the odds of anybody in my family killing anybody, probably slim to none, I would assume. Unless my dad is just a closet serial killer, which I really hope he's not. Dad, if you're listening, please don't kill people. Because I don't want to have to do a podcast on you. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. So that was the doodler. And this is your serial killer Sunday short. Um, I will be here on Tuesday. So if you are just hankering for some true crime on your, uh, your quarantine, if you are quarantined, I am not. I am expected to be at work tomorrow. Um, so yeah, uh, that's that. Um, stay safe, stay healthy, stay inside if you can, um, stock up on whatever you need and I'll see you guys Tuesday.